Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member Karen Beattie, the founder and CEO of the Growth Faculty. The Growth Faculty is a leading provider of world-class education for business owners and leadership teams. The Growth Faculty has democratized the knowledge and experience of some of the world's most successful people, making it available to small and medium businesses and teams. Uh, They've had speakers like Simon Sinek, Jim Collins, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, who else? George Clooney and Tim Ferriss and many, many more. Karen shared her story of how she built her business from nothing to being a a leader in Australia in, in business education, the importance that business owners play in society as leaders, and Karen shared the most important lessons she's learned from some of her speakers. It was a fantastic episode. Enjoy the show. I am joined today by one of my favorite cub people of all time Karen Beatty thank you for thank you for finally coming on the show after me after me hounding you for about what a year to, to, to find time in the schedule but no we're grateful to have you it's, it's a pleasure being here and uh, yeah I'm sorry about that but uh, it's been quite consuming at work over the last 12 months well over the last two years at least so I, I imagine yeah. and, I mean because you're obviously in the events would you call it the event it's the education space yes and I think prior to March 2020 it, you would have been correct to say that we're in the events industry yes absolutely because we delivered our content through live in-person events so it was an easy classification for yeah. us yeah. and you, I mean you have some seriously big names like uh, let's see if I remember them but <laughs> Hillary Clinton was the guy that you invited me to once when we had lunch. You invited me to his office for a. It was oh, like for, a, G- for Jim Collins. Jim Collins. Yeah, that's, that's good r- to correct. great. Yep. Who else have you had? Um, we've had the Obamas in Singapore. Really? Yes. I didn't was, know that. That was one of our last really? events, actually, uh, December two thousand and nineteen. Wow. Yes. Oh, Simon Sinek, Brene Brown. Everyone that sends me a book, like a gift, is a Brene Brown book. I've got three of them. The are, same they try, book. are they trying to tell you something, Daniel? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. What's it about? <laughs> well, it's about the courage to lead, vulnerability, and um, you know, uh, the new 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 way of leading. I don't really. need any more courage to lead. I might need a little bit <laughs> more new age shit in my life. <laughs> uh, but really, she talks a lot about vulnerability and how vulnerability is really important to gain trust. And uh, we need a lot more <laughs> okay, of that. so maybe that's what I need. I swear, I've got three of them in my library. Is that all right? from members? Dare to lead. Yeah, 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 yeah. All from women, too. All of them, which maybe, maybe they're trying to tell me something. Maybe they are. Maybe you need to pick up the book and have a read. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably should. But I read the cover. I was like, "Dare to lead" or whatever it was. I was like, "Oh, come on, man! I'm, I'm already daring to do that." <laughs> so I moved on. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. But I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. And, yeah. and 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 why don't you give us a bit of a recap? Because me and you've obviously had known each other a long time, had many a conversations, mm-hmm. mostly of me learning from you. But um, but I've never really asked you about uh, yourself so much and gotten to know you in detail. So it'd be great to do that today. But why don't you introduce us first to the growth faculty, just kind of high level. Sure. So um, I founded the business back in 2003, actually. And it was, um, uh, I launched the business with a gentleman by the name of Michael Gerber, you know, the author of The E-Myth. Um, and at the time- You launched it with him? Well, that was my very first event. 
So um, it was my my very first event where um, I brought a speaker out to Australia. And my vision at the time was really to give um, small to medium businesses access to the world's best thought leaders. And really that drive came out of the fact, well, you know, my career started in London and I I, um, I worked for a company that brought Anthony Robbins to London. So that was my first foray into event management and organising events. And it was quite large. It was baptism by fire. Um, and then when I moved back to Australia, I worked at the Institute of Chartered Accountants um, and I, I started up my own business. Um, my first business um, is event management services company. So I organise events for for clients and uh, we landed a, a contract with MYOB and um, they wanted to kind of uh, let their clients know about the GST, the transition through to GST. And so this was before there was GST? Yeah, this was before there was GST. Okay, so, so they wanted you to host events for their clients to teach them what GST was. That's correct. That's yes. pretty easy. You could have just said, everyone, 10% you're more screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of fear factor around that because um, a lot of people were doing their accounting by Excel documents, right? So, uh, you know, having to have all this uh, extra administration around, you know, and compliance. So... Uh, interestingly, you know, we registered sort of 40,000 business owners over eight months, um, over 120 events. And during that time, and this was before online registrations, right? So we're getting the phone calls and the faxes and we're hearing firsthand all the frustrations of small business owners, right? Um, and so- To do with GST or just with life? Oh, just life, generally, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, now they're on the phone. We're also going to tell you the bullshit that's happening to me. We, we, heard, we heard it all, right? Um, it's quite interesting. If you, you, you've, if you lend an ear, it's interesting what people tell you. Yeah. So um, as a result of that, and I guess a combination of my you know experience of uh, Anthony Robbins, the Institute, and um, listening to the business owners, I was kind of wondering- uh, question kept coming up for me. It's like, well, what if we gave them access to other content that can help them with their businesses, right? And help them grow their businesses, you know, their teams. And so um, I thought, well, you know, let's, and, and at the time there wasn't much out there, right? And a lot of the conferences and a lot of the events that I was organizing with international thought leaders were really for the corporate world. So there's, you know, thousand dollars a day, um, you know, and the large corporates would bring them in um, and obviously give them access to their clients and their teams. So I wanted to do this in a, in a public environment and really kind of um, tailor it. Yeah. And tailor it for the small business owner. So I launched with Michael Gerber. I, I was familiar with him. I knew who he was and I thought, well, this would be ideal for the SME. So um, it was my first foray. I had no database, no contacts, no nothing. And, uh, and we did a half day, you know, $175 three cities, two and a half thousand people turned up. So, um, and that was my first, my launch um, wow. into really taking the risk and, you know, owning the event and, you know, promoting it and bums on seats, that type of thing. So I thought, wow, this is a bit easy. <laughs> Maybe I should continue and do that again. Uh, so um, that's, that's where we started. And really the vision and the purpose for the business hasn't changed over the 19 years. How we do it, you know, the profile of the speakers have grown. Um, we've we've moved more into mid-market, you know, um, with some of our speakers. But really, um, we've kept our prices. That The key element of it is accessibility and affordability, right? So I, it's always fantastic value. Well, I think like what you said that – the way I saw it was before that point, it was mostly the big corporates paying for these speakers to speak to their leadership teams and it was like in-house type of stuff and and they have the pockets to be able to do that, whereas you you democratised it so that smaller businesses can have access to these to this knowledge base as well. And, and, and I actually, I want to speak more about 
when you started, um, how you, because you, you mentioned I didn't have a, a, a database. Well, now you have a huge one, and how you were able to do it with no database, and because obviously you're committing a large amount of money to the person, which means you're forced to sell. So it's it's not an easy business. Is is it's actually quite difficult to to put. It, it probably takes a lot of bravery to pull off. But before we before um, we talk about that, I just wanted to um, uh, hear more about you and kind of your background and, and even your childhood, you know, where you're from and, and, um, and yeah, why don't we start there? Sure. So, um, I was born in Trinidad, Tobago. Um, I read that. I was like, what? <laughs> yes. That's where my family's from. Uh, three out of four of my grandparents were born there. I've got a gran- uh, Venezuelan grandmother. So, uh, at the time, um, you know, my father worked for a company called Dallas Lumberger, which is, you know, in, in the oil industry. So, um, we, we ended up leaving Trinidad when I was about three and we, we were transferred all over the world. So, um, you know, our first posting was Libya. Then we lived in Nigeria. Um, we, I started school in Jakarta. We spent a couple of years there. My two younger brothers were born in Singapore at the time. And then I spent sort of – we spent seven years in the United Arab Emirates, mostly in Abu Dhabi, um, and then a final two years in Dubai. And, um, and we came to Australia when I was um, – just before I was 13, so year eight – um, after having, you know, moved about six times. And so it was quite, you know, a formative childhood. It's, it basically really shaped who I am today. And, um, in what way? How did he, you probably got closer to your siblings because you had to, they were your only consistent friends. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't mind, I, you know, when my father came home and said, okay, we're moving country and, and off we go. I, I was never like, oh gosh, I was, I was quite excited about the fact that I was moving to a new country, new school, new friends, which was, which was quite interesting. It's, it, it's what I knew, but I think, you know, change, it doesn't phase me, you know, um, at all. Uh, and, you know, sense of adventure. Um, my father really sort of instilled that in us and I had no problems moving from country to country. And I think the culture rich kind of experience that we had, um, you know, the schools that I went to were all international. So, I mean, people from all over the world were, were, were my closest friends. And um, so I think it gave me sort of a rich kind of, uh, yeah, it's just the diversity of no, the experience. I, yeah, I re- well, I relate because, I mean, I, I think I've told you, but I, I went to international school myself. And before that, um, so like my parents came home one day and were like, yep, we're moving to, at that time they said London. It ended up being Paris. And I would have been 14 and I remember, nah, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Like screw that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we obviously left and, and, and uh, I went from, cause I was at Catholic school. I was at, at St. Ignatius College Review. I would have been like in year seven at the time. And then I went straight to international school, uh, to the American international school. And all of a sudden you have all these different like nationalities, religions, people like it was just like I think it's so important it gives you a full the full smorgasbord of the world in absolutely <laughs> in one sitting you know and that must have been quite challenging because having lived in one place for all that time and then moving at that age whereas you know I had the opportunity to move all the time and then we we, I, we sort of settled when I was in um you know year eight yeah uh, so we did opposite challenge. yes yeah because then I never stopped after that but 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 to the point uh, having having that that change or experiencing that change, whether it be um, early or, or later, I just think it's really important. I always tell people it was the most important thing I ever did. And like you're saying, my my best friends are, are from 
from all over the world and and uh, it's because of it's because of that of that move it's also weird how like as a child like even your childhood you didn't choose your childhood you know you you kind of like adopt this you know the fact that your parents or family was moving around and and that has a positive or a negative impact on you know it's kind of like you it's kind of like a lack of the draw in terms of your in terms of childhood and how it impacts you yeah absolutely and some people uh, are boring like now <laughs> <laughs> well i found it quite interesting when i was you know well i landed in perth right and there wasn't very much boring di- <laughs> very much diversity in 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 that city um so i found that quite interesting and and it took me a while to acclimatize to that but I so think my the first um, place you 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 lived in yes, Australia. Yeah. So I did high school and university in Perth, and then I worked for a year, and then I headed straight overseas after that to London, and I spent seven years in London in my twenties. So good fun. Yes. <laughs> and, but did you always think that you? Did, why were your? Why did you become a business owner? Why did you become an entrepreneur? Did you always think that, or did you just fall into it? I never imagined myself um, working for a large organization for some reason, um, and my father. Actually, when we had been living in Australia for three years, um, we were due for a transfer again. Like he'd been working with this organization for 20 years. Um, And to give us, to allow us the best chance to stay in Australia, he quit the job. We became Australian citizens and he started up his own business so we could stay. So, you know, he ran his own business for 17 years. And I think growing up too, you know, even in primary school when we were overseas, he'd always take me into the office you know, where, where he was on weekends. And so, and, and also when we we're in, in Perth during my school holidays, I'd go and help out, you know, um, answer the phones, do whatever I needed to do and just help out all the time. So, you know, I think he certainly, um, you know, instilled, he always said to me, you know, I, you don't need to rely on anyone, you know, you really need to take care of yourself. And so, and what he meant by that is, you know, um, I felt I had no choice but to go to university right? I thought that was my only path and I wanted to. Um, but he really instilled sort of really quietly and majestically this kind of independence. And um, I think when you, that independence kind of manifests itself in sort of the entrepreneurial journey, I think, you know, um, mm. and it's a very different, um, obviously very different experience to working in corporate. I just never imagined myself in a corporate world. Yes. Yeah. And I think that must have to do something to do with change, maybe. Maybe, yeah. but also you know, it, it's not always the case, but if your parents did something that you liked, that thing becomes an option. So maybe you saw your father in the corporate world and there, there was a lot of moving and there was, you know, it wasn't necessarily your choice. And then you saw when he did take, when he did want to make a choice, he he started a business himself and you saw the ownership and the, the um, what's it called when you, you know, it, it was, it, I'm, it, we're staying here and, and I can do this and, and look at now the freedom we have because while we, we don't have the security of a, the paychecks like you get at the corporates, mm-hmm. we have the security of choice of doing what we want. And maybe maybe a little Karen was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that, that's it. I, I really think it becomes an option. And so the more, uh, the more uh, entrepreneurs listen to this or business people – you know, that aren't yet business people listen to, to you right now and this story, the more they think, yeah, shit, I, I can, that, that's an option. I can do that. And Absolutely. then the more people do it, the more, um, the more people look at them, whether it be their kids or not, and be like, oh, that's an option. I can do that. And, sure. and I just think business makes the world better. So the more of it, the, um, uh, the better. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that is your drive to want to make a difference. What was sort of 
wanted to make a difference somehow um, and have it have an impact. And I think that is really important if you're going to start on the entrepreneurial journey, right? Because that's what keeps you going because mm. it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, no. as, you, as you would know. Yeah. You have to be absolutely passionate about it so that when you do hit the hard times, you push through because this is – this is within you, right? It's it goes through every core of your body. Yeah, and it is so, you. I always say it is you. Like it, it's just part of you. Yeah, yeah. Your, your business is just it's like a metaphor of what's in your head. It's just you know it's just it's you, but it's it's uh, projected into the world. Absolutely. And um, and it can change. It can be you at a different time. You could have a different business uh, later in life, which is it's still you projecting the world. It's just probably better than the one prior because you yourself have have kind of grown. And I mean, what do you think is your um, impact that you're that you're making. What, what's your your drive that you're trying to contribute through the business? Really, to give um, business owners, you know, um, access to tools and resources and thinking to help them manage their business better, to become better leaders. But why? Why business owners? I guess because I'm one myself, and I know how hard that journey is, and I know that they're incredibly passionate individuals, um, res- it takes a lot of resilience and persistence and a lot of business owners are out there because they want to have an impact in their community and, and on their clients. Um, I think, did you listen to the, um, to the conversation that we had with the Ukrainian business club? I didn't get a chance to, no. Okay. Well, so it's out now. It's on the, so listeners, you can actually go listen to it now. It's a special episode, but uh, on this podcast, but I was listening to those business owners talking about what they were doing to help their people, their families, their government. And you very quickly realize as a business owner, you're just basically in service of, of, of everyone. You know, it's, it's, you, you, you're not the boss. You're basically the, 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 the giver in the sense. And like they were, I mean, it's one thing being a leader in when everything's stable and easy and good, but you see them also lead when the times are super difficult. And these people are literally getting bombs thrown at them and shit. And uh, their stories of what they were telling, I won't, I won't tell you the stories. You can go listen to the episode. It's, it's a good conversation. But the stories, that, what it highlighted to me was the importance business owners play in society as leaders, particularly in bad times. Sure. Um, and I related that very much to COVID because – when COVID, I mean, I've gone on many rants about this before, especially on this uh, podcast, but when COVID was happening, I felt like, um, yeah, all, and, and I was talking to all the members, so they're, they're all in the same position and I was doing it myself. You're not just um, trying to guide, you're, 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 you're supporting your team. You're giving them mental support, financial security and support, support a guide out of the problem. You, you, you're basically working for the, for the country to to keep uh, people safe, happy, mentally stimulated, connect, human connection, all these things. Uh, and and uh, so anyway, my theory has always been, well, we shouldn't pay taxes because we contribute so much <laughs> in other ways, which I think is pretty fair. There should be no income tax for business owners but because you're paying so many other taxes. But, but anyway, to, to the actual point, it's just the important, like what you're saying, the, the people that give back. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, a small, small to medium enterprise is basically the backbone of any economy, really. And, you know, they are in service of people. I know when COVID hit and you probably felt the same way too, it's just a, my first thought was, yes, survival. 
but how are you going to survive? You're going to survive by servicing your clients, right? So that's the first bit. It's like, how do I provide a service that's going to help them get through this time? And in doing so, right, you're obviously, you know, um, going to survive as a result of that. And, you know, if it wasn't for our speakers and the relationships we had with our speakers and our clients and actually providing them exactly what they needed at that time, because it's very different to any time before, you know, we, w- we would not have got through. Yeah, it's like high level strategic problem solving that can have a big impact. Absolutely. If done correctly and, and on time. And, and I, we, I, I'm kind of over talking about COVID, but I want to talk about it with you only because, um, you know, as far as overcoming adversity goes, I mean, if my whole business, well, I'm actually kind of similar, but if if I had a business that was bringing together thousands of people uh, and speakers from around the world, uh, and then, I'm, you know, that all stopped, that, that would suck. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'd just like to hear your perspective on, on COVID, your experience and, and how it's impacted you and what you did. Oh, certainly. Um, well, I had the most profound impact on my business over the last kind of 19 years, obviously. And we were at the time, we were two weeks out from delivering one of our largest and most profitable events. So um, 12,000 people across three cities, Sydney, Melbourne and Auckland, two of them were sold out. And Who's the speaker? Simon Sinek. Oh, wow. So I also just read you've had George Clooney, Tim Ferriss. You've had a lot of people. We have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> been around a little while. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'll never forget in the lead up, you know, you see this like tsunami coming towards you, right? You're not too sure what it is. And you're kind of going, well, is this going to hit before the event or after the event, right? And you just sort of fingers crossed and you're going like, It'll happen after. But meanwhile, you're on the phone, right? On the phone to the suppliers, the venues, you're listening to government announcements. And it was a really tense time in the lead up. And then finally, I think it was sort of the, the, the week of, you know, the Monday before the government made the announcement that, you know, we were sort of, um, the venues were closing down. We um, went into overdrive. We were obviously talking to Simon at the time and um, we made a call that we would have to move it just for, you know, the the health and the well-being of our clients, you know, came first. So, what we did was, right, um, Simon came to the party. Yep, we moved it out to February 2021. We notified everybody, I think it was on Thursday the 12th of March. <laughs> the date is imprinted in my brain. And then Friday the 13th, the um, the government came out and said that, um, yeah, they were, the venues are shut and, you know, and then the reality of that happened. But we were quite relieved at the time. We said, okay, right, we've sorted that out. We, we've got another date. We've notified all our clients. Everyone's, you know, everyone's safe and happy. And then the reality of that, really hit home on Monday when we came into the office because we were staring down the barrel of 2020 with not an event in sight. Um, and I had a team of 17 people at the time. And so we had to make some pretty harsh decisions. And uh, so I had to let go 70% of the people. Um, and at that time- Which is a horrible- It was- It's the worst thing that you, I, the worst thing you can do. That would have to be the worst day. Because, yeah. you, I mean, I guess- 2019, you got to understand, was our, kind of our breakthrough year. Like we were on this trage- trajectory. We had Brene Brown, the Obamas in Singapore. We had Patrick Lancioni earlier on. We had Seth Godin after after Simon as well. And uh, we we had to flip him to a virtual. Um, and so as, as an organization, we were riding high. But interestingly, I had, you know, we did have this digital platform, right? So I had an online business book club that I've been running for four or five years on a subscription basis. So you know, we would, we would beam in authors every month um, and our premium members would get a copy of the book and we had that. But, you know, that wasn't suffice to kind of help us to survive. So we sort of looked at that and went, okay, we have to do something with that now. 
Um, and interestingly, I did bring in a, you know, a head of digital and innovation in October, 2019 with the idea of like, let's take this platform to the next level. So what COVID did was fast track it for us. Um, but the first question we were asking is like, well, you know, what do our clients want? What can we do? And I started calling my speakers cause I was A to find out how they are and what can we do together? Because, you know, for a couple of weeks there it was a bit of deer in the headlights stuff. And, you know, it was a bit of the wild, wild west that they, they were nervous because they, you know, they're all live in person kind of, you know, that's the way they delivered their content. And so together, um, you know, we said, well, let's try and do something virtually and see if people will pay for it. And, um, that they did because we provided content that was necessary for them right then and there to help them get through. Um, and, um, so we just iterated and iterated and then we ended up bundling in the masterclasses into the subscription and we started really building that out. Um, but it was, uh, it was a real sprint. But so could that be a big positive now com- coming out the other side in that you almost have two business models now that you're, you're able to execute a digital and, uh, and, and an in-person? Correct. Yep. So you, you could have kind of doubled in size in, in, yep. you know. Well, it was, while. you know, you bring up a good point. So we pivoted cause we had to right? To survive. But now what we see before us is a massive opportunity, right? And absolutely we've hold, we've held off bringing speakers out. Probably won't, we'll probably wait till 2023 till everything's settled, you know, just make sure everything's settled. Um, and we will, you know, the, the digital platform or our e-learning platform is going to basically align with our live in person. So we'll have two products, but yeah, you're right. And obviously now, you know, um, it's education at scale. So we're doing exactly what we're doing before, make, democratizing it. Yeah, even further. Even further. Yeah, because even cheaper now absolutely. because you can sit down. Yeah. And product market fit, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, over the next three years, stats saying that, you know, most people because in the new world of work or, you know, future of work need upskilling, reskilling. And so our content's really targeted towards that. Yeah. So, and it's yeah. cool because you can aim the content at, at the relevant the relevant time. Absolutely. And um, I just wanted to go back to, uh, it might be a touchy subject, I don't know, but go back to the day where you did have to let go of 70% of of people Mm -hmm. only because, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it would be. I mean, firing people is fine. There's no issue with that. But people that shouldn't be there, having to let go of someone who you you don't want to let go of, Mm -hmm. That would be like ripping off an arm. Yeah. And, yeah, I just wanted to get – I mean, I, I, thankfully I, I, I haven't had to do that, mm. but I just wanted to hear what that's like. Yeah, as I said, it was – Bit of an awkward question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we did a lot of planning and, you know, we were um, – I, I guess they understood, but everyone was slightly heartbroken because we, as you said, like literally a week earlier – you know, we're, so well. as, as an as an organization, you know, we were we were going places, um, and we had a lot lots of plans. So for everyone, it was, you know, everyone was obviously understanding, but and understood the steps that we had to take. Um, and how and, did you prepare yourself? Well, you, for you these t- conversations because it was fast too. Yeah, like it, was it was fast. You know, it was fast. I think I was still in, you know, sort of st- still in a, in a in a bit of a daze, but um, it. I really had no choice. I yeah. absolutely had no choice. And so it was coming from a, you know, level, of, you know, um, a level of authenticity. Um, but, it, you know, I, I can't 
really remember the preparation. I just remember getting up on the Monday morning and 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 end up having to go home early that day because I just wasn't um, in the right frame of mind. Of it, was, it was heartbreaking. My, it, 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 but it brings up also it's like a bit of a, a story of not resilience, but of survival and business survival. Like at that point, my old man said to me, because I said, oh, I don't know what's going on. And he just said to me, he goes, don't worry about it. Goes, what do you mean don't worry about it? He goes, yeah, shit happens. He goes, um, if he goes, your business is you. He goes, sometimes if you're a tree, a hurricane takes off a few branches, but the trunk's still there. The branches grow back. Mm-hmm. So the business isn't going to go anywhere. You know, you just have to you just have to weather that storm and make sure that the, the trunk's there. But are you going anywhere? No, I'm going to keep going. Okay, well, you've got nothing to worry about. And sometimes it shrinks and sometimes there's a bushfire. It comes and, uh, you know, it burns down the forest, but the trees all end up growing back and, and the branches come back. So you just said – this type of things happen. Mm. And I remember that gave me, I mean, it wasn't nice because, you, you know, you're thinking, fuck, who, what are the branches that are going to disappear? But but it gave me the um, the insight into, well, it's not like I'm going to lose the business mm. because there's always a way to, like what you said, I had to do what I had to do in order to make it survive. And, and in theory, not just have you made it survive, it should be, could double, triple in size now because you've got new mediums of, of uh, revenue and servicing people and therefore you can employ more people mm. um, and pay more people yeah. and more taxes. And but it's interesting, it uh, comes down to mindset because I remember speaking to one of our, you know, one of our um, authors and he just said to me, look, everything you need is within you. You've got everything you need in order to turn this business around. And that's when I sort of, you know, sort of calmed down a little bit and had a look and it's like, well, I've got key relationships with authors who are also going through a tough time. Um, I've got an amazing database and I've got this platform. So let's, let's see what we can do. But the, the real change, you know, change of mindset. So three months in, say around July, 2020, because the way we were thinking is like, we just need to get through to that February, 2021, right? For our next, we just have to get through to our next live in-person event, right? That was our mentality. And then I thought, which has a positive, uh, which is a good thing, I think. It's a good thing. But I turned around and I said, well, you're not in control with that thinking. I'm at the mercy of the government. I'm mercy of this virus that is completely out of control. And I thought, well, A, I need to sleep and uh, keep my mental wits about me. And in that moment, I said, well, what can we do to survive without having to rely on live in-person events? And it's the moment we changed our thinking, right? The moment we changed our thinking and said, right, what can we do so that we don't have to rely on live in-person events again and everything changed from there? It's it's it, it, 100% agree. It's, 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 it's ownership of things. You know, it's things that are in my control, in my power. And, and uh, even to the point I was saying before, I had like a COVID plan, which was, okay, if revenues drop, Basically, so this was more financial than, than servicing. We, we had jumped on the servicing very fast, the best we could anyway. But uh, I had, okay, if revenues drop to this, this is the actions I take and then we're good again. If revenues drop to this, this is the actions I take. All the way down to basically it was just me standing there by myself. And so I always felt like I had a plan. Luckily, we, we the team's... Uh, was incredible and we pulled through and business owners did what they, they were looking for each other because they wanted to connect they wanted to help they were looking for business and they were looking for all just guidance and stuff so we got lucky in that front but 
but but I had that when I knew I had that sense of ownership. I had that I could rely. I whatever that's called. Like it was it was internal. I felt much more at ease. I, I didn't yep. feel uh, at risk, and and that's kind of what you're describing. I I, yep. I, I fully agree. That's the, that was probably the biggest lesson from COVID. F- fuck the rest of the world. Look at you. Look inside. Focus on your metrics, on your situation. Um, and your clients. Of course. At that yeah. time. That's too. what I mean. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Because, I mean, what you did with service is like, well, people wanted to get together. They wanted to hear what other people were doing and getting through. I mean, we even we even created forums as well for some of our groups to, so they could hear from each other and it was quite comforting for people at the time. Mm. So, I mean, it, I mean, what you've done is quite impressive when you have an in-person meeting to be able to flip that networking company. <laughs> networking company. But and and, yes. and so I want to get to the start. So to how you started because right. I mean, as we said, now you haven't thought what you you were and you will again having thousands and thousands of people attend these events with with the speakers like I was saying, Tim Ferriss, George Clooney, Hillary Clinton, the Obamas, and and, and on and on and on. Um, but how did you start? So you mentioned you briefly mentioned that. Oh yeah, I got the. Um, 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 the E Myth guy, what's his name? Michael Gerber. Ma- Sorry, Michael. Michael Gerber. Um, and um, um, and you know you, you you did that whole thing. But how did you start? How did you sell the tickets if you didn't have a database? How did you uh, get the courage to to actually commit that? I can imagine which would have been a lot of money to the venue, to Michael Gerber, and to everything else. Absolutely. Um, Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yeah, always. <laughs> I really think always. Uh, so I just got on the phone and um, I really tapped into I really tapped into business associations um, that represented the small business community. Um, and the opportunity there is, uh, you know, to give their members access to some an international speaker like that, they wouldn't necessarily have a budget or the opportunity to do so. So. I gave them the opportunity to partner and promote the event to their membership base. Membership base gets a discount and they get commission and they are seen to be adding value, right? So there's a bit of a commercial element of it, but, you know, um, it's not huge, but it's just adding value. So, and when you have a high profile speaker like that and, and it really resonates with the members, they were on board, right? And so that's really how I built it. And I, and I Telstra came on board as a sponsor as well. And I just got on the phone. Um, I partnered with a conference company that could manage the registration so I could devote 100% of my time on the on the sales side of it. And that's literally how I did it. Um, so so what, what did the conference company do? They did the registrations, the back end. What does that mean? Um, oh, like- so they, they managed the registration, so the, the coordination and the logistics of it. Of the actual event. Yeah. So that yep. way you could focus on the sales. Yeah, that's correct. Well, I mean, it's really um, – that in itself is just really good problem solving. I haven't got a database, so I'll go partner with people who do have a database. Mm. Um, I haven't got a team, so I'll outsource a company to focus on actually putting on the event so I can focus on what's the most important, which is I need to bring in revenue to pay for the event. That's right. And um, and that was the first that was the first gig. Yeah, and, you know, when your money's on the line, because I'd organised – I mean, I organised Anthony Robbins in the UK. You know, I had organised conferences at the Institute of Chartered Accountants. Now, when it's other people's money and you just – and you basically having to manage, then that's easy. You're not yeah. thinking <laughs> about that. But when you, it's actually your money, then it's – 90% of it is cash flow, right? And, um, you know – Big deal. You're, it's, takes up your, your, your mind and your, your thoughts as cash flow. So um, it was a completely different – and I have to say 
I probably didn't sleep very much in those first six months. Yeah, I'd know? imagine. Yeah. That, that's, it's high stress. Of, yeah. You're in a high stress business. Like yeah. it, make sure the speaker shows up and that they're not sick and all this type of stuff. And, and tell me about Tony Robbins. So I went to a Tony Robbins event once and I was like, this man God? Like he was just huge, first of all. He looked like he was from a movie. Like, How big is that guy? About six, seven, yeah, or but, close, but, maybe even closer to seven. But his hand yeah. was probably wider than both our heads put together. <laughs> you know, it was a big, a big dude. guy. Yeah, and he's imposing. He's like almost like, oh, mm. geez, I better do what he says and be happy, otherwise, it's going to throw me through the ceiling. Yeah, I'm like, did you learn much from from um, from Tony? Or I learned so much from that experience. Yeah. I was my first essay foray into events, and a friend of mine won the rights to bring him to London. And so he reached out to me, he said, can you help? And I said, sure. So he put a computer, computer on my desk and said, okay, create the registration base, you know. Um, and I, I went, you know, there's three of us at the start of the campaign. And by the end of the campaign, which was probably about a nine-month campaign, and we had to sell about 9,000 tickets because we had three one-day events. And we did the UPW. Did you go to the UPW, the three-day event? Was it the uh, three-day event you yes, went to? Yes, when I walked over fire. Yes. Yeah. I, I so <laughs> what <laughs> – I did. Uh, so what I took from from those events was, A, I really liked them. I didn't like hugging strangers. I had no interest in that, but whatever. Um, um, and also I felt that they got too salesy. So it was so American. It was like speaker comes on stage, Tony Robbins changed my life. I was addicted to drugs and I lost my child and now I'm killing it because of Tony. And then three people would say that and then Tony would come on stage. Right. And then I was like, oh, my God. But, but so it was a little bit too salesy, and then they were trying to push that the the um, the um, the university. Yep, yep. And like, I was writing down a lot of really good mm. sales techniques. Like, mm. I was writing down a lot of really good. Like, it was a lot of social proof and a lot of like commitment and like um, um, open commitment. Where sure. you like, you, if you're signing up, put up your hand. Okay, everyone, quick, go give those people the paper to sign up to the program. You know, like it, it was, it was. Really it was the best sales pitch I've ever experienced in my entire life. And tell me, this was early days, <laughs> right? So Tony did most. Tony did all of the three day program when when I organized the. Event. Yeah, so was, mine wasn't. I yeah. had him for like half an hour one day. Yeah, no, we had him for the entire time. And what impressed me was his energy and the fact that he was able to hold an audience and a British audience at that, right? Mm. <laughs> and he just. He started when he wanted, he finished in the, you know, when he wanted. Um, people were annoyed because lunch was at four o'clock in the afternoon, but they didn't want to leave the room. And it was, I was just fascinated. I've never seen anyone present, I mean, as well. I mean, he's extraordinary on stage, right? So, oh, we, yeah. so he, he, He's the greatest ever. So three days, stage. right? And this is my first, like, this is my first experience of, thought leaders presenting from a stage, right? So so I organized, you know, the firewalk. So I, you know, and um, mm. I remember like it was meant to happen at 10 o'clock at night on a, you know, but it, was, it wasn't happening till two o'clock in the afternoon, right? I mean, two o'clock in the morning. And this guy's like, and we have Bongo, I had to pay this guy to yeah, come yeah. play Bongo drunks. And he's like, I got to get to another gig. And I went, what, midnight? You know, we're at Alexander Palace in London. I said, no. So I had to give him 50 pounds at the time, which was you know, worth they a do. bit of money. <laughs> and he's there smoking this spliff. And I'm like, you got to stay. And like, so it's just coordinating this because Tony just from a time perspective. Um, but yeah, we got to Sunday night and he said, okay, everyone go for lunch. I don't know what they do now. 
at, at like five o'clock in the afternoon, go for lunch. And if you want to come back early, right, I will tell you about the university. So people opted in to be there and he did about a 45 minute pitch on this university, which at the time, which was, I don't know, 25 years ago was, um, you know, worth seven to 10,000 US, which yeah. was, and it was, people, it, was, it was, I think it was 11,000 or right. something. Like and then you have to get there because it's held in places yeah. like Fiji and Aspen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I actually paid and didn't even go. <laughs> Is that I right? swear, yeah, I did. I was like, and you know what made me furious? I paid like on day one before they had start, started selling it because after day one he was on stage mm. and I was like, I really like this guy. I'm going to like do that thing because they had like a stand and they were telling you about it. I was like, I'll do that. There's a business one and like, yeah, but I was like, cool. I did it. And then, and then the next couple of days he wasn't there, most of them, and I was just being abusively sold this thing and I was like, damn it, like now I'm not going because I'm fucking so angry about the selling of it. So anyway, it was a big disaster for me. You got caught up. But I do love Tony. But I, Anthony. I, um, introduce me to my mindset, the power of mindset. I'm a bit obsessed with mindset. What's that? Just the power of mindset. Oh, like he introduced he, yes, you. Yes, you know, that kind of – I think inherently – I think he articulated mm. what I was, you know um, – Viewing? Yeah, what I was interested in. Because, I mean, I was in my early 20s, right? And just the, you know, people, when people excel, you know, when you look at – I'm obsessed with athletes and what they need to do and what they need to overcome. And people that excel in anything, right, mm. um, it's the power of the mindset. You get to that elite level, right? The skill set is equal amongst them all, right? What makes, what separates one and two, one and three, it's mindset. Yeah, And it's mindset on the day. You know, obviously you see, you know, even down to Formula One or tennis or- um, Holding the pressure. Holding the pressure. So, yeah. um, and I've been intrigued and ever sacrifice. since- And sacrifice. And yeah. that doesn't get shared a lot. No, but I just think that you've got like a balance- like it, your life has like a balance, you know, your family, health, blah, 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 blah. There's, there's, there's all, there's just, I can't, I'm not going to think of all the little pipelines. The nice little circle described. pie. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> like it's got all these, actually Tony Robbins has that. He's got that pie with your different spirituality, blah, blah, blah. And, and if you, you know, and you've only got a limited amount of time and energy and to be truly great or even, not even truly great because truly great is like, Michael Jordan, you know, let's assume he's greatest ever, just a life. But Have you seen The Last Dance? Oh, you kidding? That's a Michael Jordan signed ball. See that? I watched The Last Dance and I bought that ball. <laughs> Never watched Michael Jordan before that, but I was like, oh, my God, he's my hero. But mindset. Yeah. The yeah, mindset of that man. I love it. And it was extraordinary. <laughs> and everybody in life that thinks they're a winner goes, just I just relate so much to Michael Jordan after that documentary. Everyone I speak to, yeah, I just saw myself in him. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? That's what everyone says. Because he's the ultimate and he sacrificed and he but, but back and to a standard of excellence as well that, that he expected of himself and everybody around him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's that's like when you're pushing your mindset you're pushing your mentality on others mm. i mean in especially a team sport but in business that's needed but like pushing i mean maybe you i should have asked you anyway but just pushing your drive onto others so that they it's it, it can be addictive to have drive and it can be addictive to sacrifice for to contribute to something and addictive to um uh, to be proud mm. To, you know, some people find a lot of pride in what they're doing by pushing that onto others, not forcing it, although maybe it is, but just by trying to spread it and share it, 
kind of what Tony does to his crowd of people. Sure. You can do that to your team and then your team all of a sudden, they're, they're not working. They're They're buying they're into your proud. vision. Yeah, they're proud. Mm. They've got ownership. It's like yep. I'm proud. I'm, I'm, it's not work. It's, 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 and, and that's you can learn that from that Michael Jordan documentary. Yeah. But, but speaking of sacrifice, to do really well at anything, whether you're the greatest or just great, there's sacrifice. Absolutely. You sacrifice family, you sacrifice sometimes health, you definitely sacrifice your mental like stability. Yep. <laughs> you know, like yep. there's sacrifice and people need to be aware of that. Do, um, do you agree? Especially on the entrepreneurial journey, absolutely. Um, and there's all the, there's a lot of talk about obviously work-life balance and I think um, and mental health, you know, in the entrepreneurial kind of um, community is really important, especially over COVID. But, I mean, I think – what COVID did was exacerbate, you know, our mental health. And I guess all the challenges that we we have running businesses were were definitely um, brought to the fore. But mental health is a big issue amongst the entrepreneurial journey. It's, it's, we ran a um, week-long series during in October last year, free, and we wanted to provide a service there. And it's a it's something that we want to support a bit more for for our um, for our community of entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, I see it. I see it a lot too because. Yeah, when people are going good, they're fine. But sometimes people crash. And, like, I mean, Cubs a big community. We've had many members over the past seven years. Um, and, you know, I've seen people get addicted to drugs and, like, obviously alcohol and, and go into depression from losing things. Um, it, you know, it, it is a – because they carry a weight on their shoulder. Even, like, what, what do you have to do through COVID? Yeah. That's a heavy – that's a – you know, it, what's, that, it, what's the thing about the crown on the head? Heavy the head has the crown or something. Do you know that saying? I haven't heard that saying no. before. No, sorry. <laughs> heavy, heavy lies the heavy lies the crown. Okay, maybe that's not a saying. I'm sure some <laughs> listeners nodding like, yeah, I know what he's. Anyway, something about being hard, being a king or a queen. But, but um, yes, and 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 it's it's a lonely place to be, and that's why organisations like yours, you know, where you bring them together, they can because it's very hard for if unless you're on the entrepreneurial journey for other people to understand, right? Mm. Um, so it's really important that you have that network. It's so important. I agree. And and tell me, so you've met and you've heard some of the world's best and most knowledgeable, most successful people and speakers. Who have been your some of your favourites? Who were for you were like, oh, my God, that's impressive? Well, that's a tough question. But um, those that know me well will know that. Brene Brown. <laughs> high on my list. Brene's impressive. They're, they're all incredibly impressive in their, for their own reasons, right, and for their own strengths. Okay, um, so don't rank them I'm in not- order. <laughs> Just give me some of your most sure. impressive. Be a bit more so, political about this. So, uh, you know, Jim Collins, um, incredibly impressive. Brene Brown. Oh but what, what has he taught you? What, what's something you've taken from, from them? From Jim? Oh, so much. Um, you know, I first, I mean, Good to Great, was probably one of the most impactful books that I've read, um, really around structure of business. Um, you know, the flywheel is a big part, a level five leadership. And 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 him as an individual, you know, um, the trust element um, that he's placed um, in our business when we, you know, I, I think that was the big thing with Jim is what he made me realize without actually explaining it to me is just when, when a speaker agrees to come out to Australia um, and you, you to host them and give them access, they're really trusting you with their brand. And so, you know, 
And as an organization, we have to return that trust. And so there's nothing we want to do to actually ever, you know, um, break that, break that. Absolutely. And when I kind of had that light bulb moment, I was doing it inherently again, but you know, you said, well, it's really important that we, this experience for them is the best they can do. And they all want to have an impact. So when they're coming out and they're making that decision to come out to Australia, it's like, okay, you know, what are you going to provide? I want to have impact. So if I'm taking a week out of my, you know, year to come out to Australia. Long ass flight. (laughs) It's a long flight. You know, I want to know that I'm going to be making a difference. And so we have a massive responsibility to them um, to make that happen. So. um, And Jim, Jim talked. Kind yeah. of explain that to you or yeah, verbalize that. Verbalized, to you. yeah, um, in his own in in his own special way. Um, Hillary Clinton was absolutely an incredible um, experience, and she was amazing to be around. And, um, and what was it like working with her team? Like when someone like a Clinton comes out, you know, there's some serious shit happening around them. Like incredibly professional, incredibly professional, yeah, and mean? fantastic. Like, like just responsive. Um, Thankful, security grateful. everywhere. Yes, security. I had I had some, some senior detective of the New South Wales, you know, police department give me a call. We had to um, wow. do a bomb sweep of the um, the venues prior to her um, coming into the building. Um, but it was such a pleasure, such a pleasure to work with her team, um, and That's- I think they're an extension of who she is as well. And um, she was incredible. When she walks into a room, she makes you feel special. She knows who you are. Um, she gives you the time of day and she will tend to kind of veer off. So, you know, she's surrounded by security guards and we had this um, beautiful uh, choir of young women singing before she got on stage and they were in their, um, they were in their green room and she was meant to just walk past, but she took a sidestep in to say hi and just made their day and, you know, security scrambling around her and, you know, just little things like that. Good leader. Great. She's a great leader. And just professional. The resilience of that woman to, you know, just extraordinary. Well, just going through a presidential campaign on its own, let alone the one she went through, but just going through one, I mean, that takes a – that must be one of the hardest jobs there is. Not the actual job itself, just just – doing the campaign to get the job. I reckon that must be one of the most brutal um, experiences a human being can go through for a job. I would say so. Yeah, it has to be. And uh, yeah, that that's so cool. Imagine like being so important that they have to like check for bombs before you walk in anyway. That's pretty much what I want. Like, uh, is this checked? <laughs> okay, I'll walk in now. Like that's serious. That That's, you know, you're, you're someone of, of power yeah. when they start sweeping rooms before sure. you enter. Absolutely. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Being scared of bombs everywhere, but but I don't know. I think it's a big accomplishment. And what I guess what was the lesson you took from her? Whether it be she said something to you, or whether it be you witnessed it. I guess um, lesson from well, really was around resilience and and the fact that the fact that she's endured um, all those years. I mean, her passion was always women and young women, and that was even from when she was you know, starting out in university and, and that has carried through her years. And she's always wanted to be in service of people always. Um, and that has shown through, um, what, what did you take from that? You, you learned that about her, I guess. Yeah. What did, how does that impacted you? 
have you thought, oh, shit, I should probably do that? Well, I guess it's it was just more of a validation, I think, um, of the sacrifice that you need to make in order to live live your dreams and live your passion because there's a lot of sacrifice that she made as well. So I found that quite inspirational. And as a woman, you know, she was at her most popular when she was Secretary of State, right? She steps out to go for presidency, right? And then she gets, you know, um, her popularity drops immediately, right? And the same thing happened to Julie Gillard, right? She was most Why popular. Why do you think? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Women going for top jobs. Um, and she just, you know, she explained the extra pressure on her, you know. She goes, you have to sit in a chair to get made up, you know, for two hours before you go on stage and then people criticise your people hair. People you apart. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't you know. do it. It's not like I'm sitting at home doing my own hair. So <laughs> I think, you know, the reality of what women in public really have to go through. Um, and you see it obviously on, on television, but to, to hear it directly from her. Well, and I guess my job. details drive- in the back, in the background, you know, like to hear about, like I actually have to sit there for two hours or someone does my, well, does, makes me up. Um, or whatever that's called, and then I have to go out and to only to be um, yeah, ripped apart, <laughs> you know, by by people. It's not very fair. I didn't. I if you're going to rip me apart, at least let me do my own do my own stuff. But you know, she said they they, they focus on different things. If it was a, if it was a man, the, yeah. the, the focus is never on what they're wearing, right? Yeah. So, um, and you know, the focus on yeah. So that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. It's 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 it, yeah. I mean, it's a tougher environment, but. One could argue, it means that it's going to create stronger women who are, who will overcome it. Doesn't matter how tough a situation is, there's always someone that will overcome it. There's always someone that will succeed, and and you know the, whether it be some of the first people that overcome that, they ju- it just then becomes easier and easier and easier and easier because, it, like kind of like what we're saying with the um, business owners, you know, that being an option, it becomes an option becomes an option for more people. More people want to do it. So more people are less fearful of doing it. Mm. So more people do it. And there's plenty of people strong enough to do it. Yeah, t- tons of people, um, um, uh, women or, or, or not, uh, are strong enough to overcome public scrutiny and things like that. And I just – so I think – I mean, Hillary is already a great example. Um, but um, but hopefully it, it, it causes – because it is more difficult mm. in my opinion – but um, I th- hopefully it will cause stronger women. And I know her, her um, while she was out here for her tour, she inspired many, many people. People found that a very special opportunity to hear her and Julia Gillard on stage, you know, because um, Julia interviewed her. And, uh, you know, the response that we got from that was just quite extraordinary. And a, a lot of... Women took their daughters along to that as well. So that'd be an amazing mother-daughter experience. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, how beautiful! Well, we do actually have to wrap up, but um, I mean, you are obviously extremely knowledgeable, and I've already asked you some of your greatest lessons in business. So we can't wrap up with the greatest lesson. But maybe why don't we talk? Uh, I mean, you have your own book club, so why don't we talk about some of your favorite uh, books or, or, or a favorite book that you recommend? Sure. Um, I'm a big fan of biographies or autobiographies. And which one's which? So the autobiography is written by the based, person? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And the biography is written by someone, someone else. else. So autobiography, um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah. How often does that get brought up on this <laughs> podcast? That that must be the world's best written book. It's that and Brene Brown. Well, 
he's a good writer. Yeah, he, he wrote is. the. It's a beautifully written book. Um, so that's still one of my favorites, and I would have loved to have had Phil Knight out. Um, I tried many a time. Does he do that type of thing? No, he's really focused on his. Um, Too busy going for jobs on his found, found foundation. Yeah, I'm yeah. joking. Yeah. <laughs> we got to test so, the shoes. <laughs> and uh, so that's one of my favorites. Um, What's his foundation? Do some charity thing. Yeah. I'm not too. I'm not too sure of the specifics. <laughs> We're not sure exactly what it is, but we know he does it. <laughs> he does do <laughs> and it. He loves yes, it. Absolutely. Um, I, I, and I'm sure it's help, helping youth in in uh, Portland. Um, that's where he's from. Um, look, there's so many books, right? But if you if you're going to talk about a book for now, um, I would say Liz Wiseman's Multipliers um, and Impact Players. She's just written a book called Impact Players, which is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and Stephen What's Covey's. That about? Um, impact players is around identifying who the impact players are in your organization and how you nurture them um, from an engagement point of view. So, you know, the question is, are you a position holder or a difference maker, right? And you want dis- difference makers, difference makers in your business, right? So from a, from a hiring perspective, questions you need to ask in order to, to identify who potential impact players are and then how you nurture them and um, um, engage them throughout your organization. So... Um, it's it's really apt for now. Amazing. Yeah. Um, well, to our listeners, go to cub.club forward slash podcast to find more information about Karen Beattie, our amazing guest today, uh, her website, LinkedIn, favourite quotes, favourite books, uh, and tons more. Uh, I'm going to work on hustling on getting you all a discount code for some of the upcoming events. Um, uh, and Karen, what, what, what actually – the, the website, the, the growth faculty website is just growthfaculty.com. Com, that's correct. That's it. Yep. Guys, go check that out. It's absolutely awesome. Our Cub members all love tuning in uh, to the events and I'm sure you will as well. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. What a privilege. Uh, I know. That was, that, was a, that, was, I have, that was one of the best conversations we've ever had. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> no, I met me and you together. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was also one of the best podcasts, I reckon. Awesome. Uh, All right, guys, to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. Karen, thank you so much. Thanks, Daniel.